Hello and welcome to the third and final episode of the series three of the Evli podcast. I'm your host, Petta von Bunsdorf. This is Evli. In the two previous peri- episodes, we discussed the changing role of ESG and RI in our in- industry. We explored why it's the right time to address issues surrounding the matter, and we talked about Evli's updated ESG, ESG strategy. We then took a deep dive into Evli's way of implementing ESG and RI, and discussed how our ad- strategy is intricately linked to customer strategy. To wrap up the series, we wanted to get an external perspective to the matter. We believe this is crucial to gaining a wider understanding of the metrics and reporting that is required in the industry. To that end, we're joined by Philip Carlos, founder and managing partner at Accelerando Intelligence, a leading European fund distribution consultancy, all the way from Valencia, Spain. However, he's not with me together today in the studio, although he would have liked to come to Helsinki, but he has joined us over the phone from Spain. Welcome, Philip. Hi, Peter. Um, many thanks for the kind introduction. Um, first of all, probably kind of disappointing to you, but it, I f- would find it hard to take the plane up to Helsinki, um, leaving wow. Valencia. Yeah, I come on, six beaut- hours. <laughs> beaut- beautiful day, 27 degrees. Yeah. Um, but anyway, m- many thanks for the kind intro. Uh, and, al- and also many thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, probably just a quick intro on myself. Um, I'm founder managing partner of Accelerant Associates. We are boutique consultancy, advising asset managers on all aspects of European fund distribution, sales models, focus points, and product proposition. Before I set up Accelerando back in 2004, I've been employed in the asset management industry for 12 years. And by pure coincidence, I worked six years on one side of the table and six years on the other side of the table, um, working in European fund sales based in London and working as a portfolio manager and fund selector in Germany. So all in all, I have uh, 27 years of experience in the asset management industry. Um, since 2008, as, as Petter mentioned, um, I live and work in Valencia, Spain, which is simply much nicer than, than Frankfurt or London, but that's probably a different story. Thank you, Philip. Now, I have visited, visited you in Valencia, so I, 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 do, I do agree to have an office in, in, uh, in, in the suburbs of Valencia, beats at least Helsinki in January. Uh, any day, so that's that. That's a good choice. Now, ESG is the subject of 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 uh, this podcast series, so let's get started with this one. And I start off with a very general but open question, Philip. In your view, where does the ESG and RI sector sit at present? The floor is yours, please. Oh, okay. Um, well. Well, ESG and, and ESG marketing um, certainly remains to enjoy its stay in the sun. Um, but there is, at least in our view, there's way too much talk to talk. Um, certainly many, many asset managers walk the walk, uh, more or less. But it's still relatively early stage for many asset managers in this aspect. And we also see a lot of lot of differences in reality. For example, um, some asset managers are already quite advanced in terms of the G or the E in the ESG, but not equally on the E 
on the S and the G. Mm. And next to walking the walk, um, in, in my view, it's also very, very important um, for asset managers to provide evidence to investors. Um, for example, in terms of ESG fund reports. And here it's important to say not just in terms of ESG funds only, but actually on all funds available. And we've done some research on that. And, and, yeah. and, and what is currently publicly available in terms of ESG reports on an overall industry level is, in fact, it is incredibly disappointing. So when you access asset manager websites, you, you may find you, you a mean, lot you of... You mean as, uh, how they have implemented ESG or, or as all implemented or when you're saying I, I, disappointing? I, 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 I refer much more to the evidence. Um, ah. So every, everybody talks about ESG, certainly, yeah. Yes. And when you look at asset manager websites, you see a lot of, of ESG marketing stories. You see some infographs, um, broad messages. Um, if you dig deeper, you find some policy statements on, on some aspects. But if you really, from an investor point of view, if you, if you really look for evidence, what is the asset manager really doing yeah. in terms of ESG and what kind of footprint does this have in a specific fund, then what is actually publicly available um, is incredibly limited. Um, and I think that's, that's quite a, the industry has quite a lot of work to do on this in, in, in general terms. So in, in order to be credible, in your opinion, the, the asset managers shall be more open on, on, on reporting. Uh, on a general level, is that what you're what you're saying? Yes, absolutely, and I think it's and I think it's absolutely crucial not only on an overall level. Um, some asset managers are doing that, um, but also on a fund level. I think um, just displaying broad policies um, and, and broad ESG messages is not good enough for professional fund buyers. Would you, would you call that would you call that some kind of greenwashing or ESG washing? Not necessarily yet. Uh, it depends a bit on case to case. Um, but I think it's really important for 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 the for the for the professional fund buyers, the fund selectors, is really to understanding. Okay, how does this work now in that fund? Okay. Um, what's the footprint in that specific fund? How does it compare, for instance, to, 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 to a benchmark? Um, because it's, it's incredibly hard for, for fund buyers, at least as of now, to make the kind of, to make the incomparable comparable. And the only way to achieve that is with more detailed, um, specific ESG reports on, 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 on the, the fund under review. Interesting, Philip. So what more can be done by asset management companies? And do you think there's a danger of investors then being misdirected? Oh, yes. Um, well, I think, first of all, um, in terms of what can be done, um, as mentioned earlier, it, it is all about walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Mm. Um, I also think that many asset managers should be more honest on where they really are in terms of ESG. Um, just to give you one example. Um, if one asset manager has, for instance, one ESG fund, 
with some 20 or 30 years of history, um, but only one fund out of, for example, 200 funds, it would be simply wrong to claim decades of ESG experience, at least on the asset manager's company or, or overall fund management level. Um, in terms of what can 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 be improved, I think key one one of the key areas here is really, um, as mentioned as, as said earlier, the evidence. The other one is data, and and data control. Mm. Um, just to just to give you to give you one example, um, just last year, Q4 last year, a major U.S. asset manager has faced some. Some real public media pressure um, for labeling on its website some funds as sustainable, while that was simply not true. It wasn't correct. Mm. It turned out it was a mistake by the data and, and rating agency, an external one, which provided provided the data to the asset manager, um, and it was quickly corrected. But the harm was done. It was a major excuse the word. It was, it was a major shitstorm in the professional media. Yeah. Um, and for us here at Accelerando, we, we, we simply found it stunning that nobody at the asset manager has spotted that. Um, it, is, it is just the liability of the asset manager that any data uh, and, and ratings being ESG or not um, are correct. So you would su suggest then a credible ESG approach by asset managers should be holistic. It should be all embracing uh, all the products and all the processes, for example. Um, yes and no. Um, it depends. It, dep it depends a bit on the on the case. I mean, there are funds um, where it doesn't make sense, um, or where the ESG um, enhancement would be would be very limited. But if we talk about more mainstream fund, typical fund ranges composed of global equity, U.S. equity, European equity, et cetera, et cetera, um, certainly yes. Um, and I think that's a general, it's just a question of time. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly confident that in, in, in a relatively short period, one, two, three years, we will see that anyway. Mm. But let's let's then have a look a little bit backwards before we go forward. So now we are in a in a situation where ESG is being talked about very much in the industry. So I was just thinking that going back to the origins of uh, responsible investing and ESG, although it has come almost into mainstream thinking over the past fifteen year fifteen years, so this is not a new thing, is it? Do you think? No, no, not at all. I mean. Churches, faith-based investors have been applying kind of sector exclusions for, for, for quite some time already. Just just take a look back at history. Uh, ancient Jewish, Jewish laws already addressed it. Um, mm. or, or in the 16th century, the Quakers followed their faith when investing already at that time. Um, so, so the origin goes back um, or has, has, has quite a long history. Um, and in terms of of more recent history, um, I think there was one very, very important point in the late 60s with the Vietnam War, which has basically sparked um, a wave of, of a number of, 
of very large U.S. institutional investors completely shying away from military or defense investments. And and we've seen a couple of new laws coming into place already late 60s, 70s. And of course, throughout the 1980s, 90s, um, responsible investments, ESG, um, certainly grew in scale. Mm. um, But it very much remained a theme for for either faith-based investors or, or... let's call it purpose sponsors, such as green banks, for instance. Yeah. Well, what do you think then, what has driven the sector's growth in in recent years then? Well, I think um, there were two major breakpoints for, for ESG, and both happened around 2007, 2008. Mm. Um, the first one was, I think, reputational risk. Um, just think of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation scandal back in 2007 for owning stocks of companies causing major harm, for, for instance, in the, in, the, in the Niger Delta. Uh, mm. It was a major issue. And, and the storm, the media storm, has actually also caught some very large asset managers in the United States. Um, and in generally, just this, this media attention or this reputation risk, yeah. um, in essence, has has led to to much more thought on avoiding reputation risks, not only by asset managers but also by large asset owners. And secondly, the kind of the, sec- the, the second break point, um, literally same time, short, very shortly after, um, more 2008ish. Um, ESG as an additional source of, of risk identification uh, or risk avoidance gained a lot more traction um, following the global financial crisis. There was a lot of evidence um, on the benefit of, of, of the, the risk-reducing um, element of ESG at that time. And I think that was do, do you mean that the, do you now talking about the re- re- risk reduction at asset managers? Yeah, okay. um, for asset managers. Yes, um, so for the investors into the asset managers for risk yes. reduction. Yeah, okay. 2007, you said that that was... Uh, 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 2007, 2008. Yeah. That time. Um, and, and obviously because of the evidence which was there um, on, on the benefit, on, on the risk reduction benefit of ESG considerations, the momentum... Um, has grown in, 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 the, in the following years, 2009, 2010, etc. Yeah. Then, then again, uh, if we then look about measurement and and uh, reporting uh, of ESG at asset managers, the growth of ESG reporting uh, has, in this case, should then have an increased importance for asset managers, especially for their clients. What's your take on this? Absolutely. Um, there's, there's probably not much to, to add then. Absolutely. Um, this is also coming back to the to the, to the first talking point. Um, I think it's 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 very much uh, as well about providing the evidence, and the transparency, and and, and and clarity. Evidence, transparency, and clarity. With these three words, what about? Go, let's go to the future then. So. 
the ESG has, as we noted, has been around for ESG responsible investment has been around for a while. Um, what's different this time? I think um, I think two things. Hmm. Um, I think certainly awareness has grown um, on the investor side, but also on the asset manager side. Also, purpose is becoming of increasing importance. But at the end of the day, it was uh, EU regulation is the real driving force. It's, it's, we could call it a complete game changer, uh, mm-hmm. not, only for, not only for asset managers, but also for institutional investors alike. Just think, on, just think of, of um, taxonomy regulation, disclosure regulation, um, suitability rules, labels for retail products, etc., etc. It's, it's massive. There's, there's, there's so much in the pipeline. It's a, it's a real massive program. So... Um Then in the long term, are you saying then that responsible and ESG are here to stay or even even being going into mainstreaming? Absolutely. Um, clearly, yes. ESG is here to stay. And that is really what has changed over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it has really moved from niche to mainstream. And there's no way around it. And... and, and, and I think we mentioned it earlier, um, we really expect uh, ESG to be integrated across the vast majority of funds available in Europe, um, across all asset classes. Um, and interestingly, in with that, if that really happens, um, that ESG is just a, a major part or an important part of portfolio management, um, I think that a lot of the currently kind of ESG-focused marketing campaigns, um, they will disappear in a couple of years. Um, in that context, I quite like the, the, the example of cars and, and low-emission marketing. Uh, low emissions are a matter of course now. It, it is simply expected. And basically, they, all the talk about the little emissions has literally disappeared. Um, and I think we will see something very similar happening in the asset management industry. It's ESG or integration and the rigor of the ESG integration um, will become simply a matter of course. It will be ex- expected. If you don't have that, if you don't do that, you simply can't pitch. So that's a, a pretty clear picture of the future where we're where we're going in a in a few years time. Then we won't be campaigning in on on ESG matches. But if we don't tick the box, we're never going to be there with our with our investors. And at Evly, this is actually where we would like to have our investors. So who's there to to direct the responsibilities? I mean, where can where can an investor go? Uh, if if he spots uh, uh, misconduct like like you mentioned just uh, here, well, um, in reality, I think everybody needs to take ownership here. Um, it's not just the data or rating agencies; um, it are also the fund managers using it. Um, and generally, ESG ratings have experienced quite some some negative media traction recently and some recent prominent fallouts, and, and certainly that raises some question marks. However, the main, the, the main takeaway here um, for 
not only for fund managers but also for fund buyers is is not to fully rely on on one singular external rating provider. Um, also, users of ratings must must fully understand the underlying methodologies and also potential um, limitations. Um, but I think the, 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 the real point is it's it's everybody needs to take ownership. Every everybody needs to do his homework. The, the, the data, the, the rating providers, the fund managers using it, um, but also fund selectors in uh, in terms of not just re- relying on these external um, ratings. Well, and for that, you as an as an investor, probably you will need to call for transparency to start with. Yes, that's why we made made a point earlier on evidence. Um, Because there's so much talk to talk, um, but if it if it comes down to very concrete levels on 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 hard facts, things become often very blurry, and that's why we make that call for for very specific ESG re- reports on 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 individual funds. Um, it's all about it's all about evidence, and clarity, and 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 also resilience. Yeah. Now today we have then discussed the importance of evidence, transparency and clarity in asset managers ESG reporting. We also touched upon the EU as jumping in as a major game changer in how ESG is going to play out in the coming years and in a few years time we're probably going to be very mainstream on ESG and everybody will expect us to have it. And this will end the the podcast series of Evli. Uh, you will find them on Evli's uh, blog spaces, and uh, also you will find the literature surrounding our ESG. So please tune in and uh, have a, have a deep dive into what Evli can offer in ESG in terms of extra literature and also on fund reporting. Now, for this, for my part, I would like to say thank you to all, all our listeners. My name is Petta von Bunsdorf, and this is Evelyn.